will also appear with him in the splendor of his glory. There are so many other verses in the scriptures that attest to this fact that Christ is our life and that he came to give us life. I often ask this question, what does a dead man need? A man who died of cancer, what does he need if you want to help him? What does a dead man need if you want to help him? Give him life. Give him life. We were dead, according to, to, to Paul, in Ephesians. The Bible says that we were dead in our word, transgressions. We inherited that state from our first father and mother, Adam and Eve. When they sinned, then they were separated from God. We experienced spiritual death, and we inherited that from Adam. So we are all born, I would say, still birth. We all had still birth. We came into the world dead, spiritually. But the Bible says that Christ gave us life. He came to give us life. So a dead man needs life. You give him life, and then you can cure him of whatever disease that he suffers from. <laughs> so life... And then you deal with the issue of sin, and that is what God has done. That's, that is what God has done f- for us. So we can conclude from the various passages that we read, that I've, I have just read. If we can get my, we can conclude, perhaps as a as a summary, that Christ gave His life for us. He gave His life for us, so that. He could give his life to us. You see, he gave for us so that he could give to us in order that he would live his life through us. So for us, to us, and then to live his life through us. And if you, could, if, if, if you, can think, if you think that you can live the Christian life on your own, then uh, it's a joke. Uh, one of my teachers used to say that the Christian life is not, impos- is, is not difficult, but it's just impossible. Because it is a Christian life. The Christian life is Christ's life. And I have my own life. You cannot live another person's life. I know many of us have tried to live another person's life. Well, we've tried to live our spouse's life. we tried to live the life for our children, and you can't. It is only Christ who can live his own life. Amen? And so how do we experience that life? How do we live that life on a moment-to-moment basis? And that is the whole uh, focus, that's the whole focus of this, of this teaching. How do we experience that life? Are you really experiencing that life? on a moment-to-moment basis. That life that he describes as life in its fullness, a fulfilled life, a life that is beyond conflict, a life of peace. As Paul says in Galatians 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. He says love, the very essence, the very essence of God, love. And he describes the various aspects of love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, humility, faithfulness, self-control. 
Can you and I say with all honesty that you are experiencing all of those traits? Because that is God's kind of life. That is eternal life that he came to, he came to give us, and that is the life that you and I possess the very moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior, your Lord, and indeed trust him as your life. If you are not living that life, and the same question goes for me, the same statement goes for me, if I'm not living that life, then I'm living below the life that God has called me into. If I'm not living that life, then I'm living a life of mediocrity. If I'm not living that life, then I'm not enjoying life in its fullness, the real life. I have my own life. And each of us, you have your own life. You have your own life. And the only way that we can experience the life, eternal life, is by surrendering our own life for that life. There has to be an exchange. When you receive Christ as life, there has to be an exchange. You have to exchange your life for Christ's life. And that is what he has done for us. And so in the next 12 weeks, because there are eight, there are eight lessons that we are going to be looking at. And uh, I plan, we plan to do this within uh, 12, 12 weeks, and I'll give you the reason why. In the next 12 weeks, by the grace of God, we will all embark on a journey to knowing, understanding, and experiencing Christ as your life. Knowing, understanding, and experiencing Christ as your life on a moment-to-moment basis. We're going to cover eight teachings that I've selected uh, to be the essentials of this theme. Eight topics that I've selected that will give us the essentials of the theme. Um, just announcement uh, to make the best use of the time that we have, to make the best use of the time that is because I have less than 50 minutes every morning to stand up here and give the teaching. To make the best use, I have structured the teaching as follows. First, there will be a lecture on each topic, and that will be followed by Q&A, questions and answers, and discussion sessions. I want to encourage every person to write your answers or what you want to discuss and send it to the church office, send it to Sister Revelation Walker. Send those questions before time so that on the day like this, Questions will be read, and then we will uh, try to give answers for the ones that we have answers for. I want you to know that nobody has a monopoly of wisdom. We all know in part, Paul says, <laughs> we all know in part. So some of the questions may not receive the, right, the, the answers that you have, but we will trust God to lead us through. Amen? There will be homework assignments. <clears throat> Excuse me. There'll be homework assignments because this is tailored to not only bring you the doctrine, but also to bring you the application, the application of the doctrine that you are going to receive. And you will only benefit when you participate or complete those assignments uh, because it is in there that you can see the practical application of the doctrines that will be uh, given out. So again, there'll be two aspects, the doctrinal aspect as well as the application aspect. So having said this, 
I want to start today with, with, the, with the concept of God. The concept of God. Have some water, please. Water. The concept of, of God. Good. Concept of God. Who can tell me what concept means? How would you define concept? It's going to be like a, a dialogue, a, a discussion. Who can define concept? Concept, concept, definition, English, grammar. <laughs> idea, an idea, a view, a perspective, a perspective, your view about God. And we are really going to focus on your view about God because God has already given us, uh, you know, he has, he has you know, the, the whole scripture is about God. But what is your own view? What is your own concept? What is your own idea about, about, about God? So we need to know this God to whom we are to submit ourselves. We need to know this God who is... Thank you so much, sister. Bless you. We need to know this God who should be our Lord and our Savior. I appreciate this, sister. We need to know him. We need to have the correct view. We need to have the correct concept. We need to have the correct perspective of this God, because without the correct pers- perspective, then we cannot really enjoy the life that he has given unto us. Here is a word from A.W. Tozer, which is, who is one of the early uh, uh, church leaders in the U.S. Nothing twists or deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy concept of God. Nothing twists the soul. If you don't know who God is, if you don't know the correct concept of God, if you don't have the right perspective that you don't know him, you also do not know who he has made you to be. Amen? We have basically two concepts, basically two concepts of God. We have the intellectual concept. And by intellectual concept, I mean what you know about God. What you know about God. And secondly, we have the emotional, emotional concept. That is how you feel about God. You see, there is a a very wide difference between what you know and how you feel. What you know and how you feel. And the question is, what do, what do most people practice? What do most people practice? Is it what they know or how they feel? Huh? How they feel? How they feel? There is a, a quotation. This guy says that in day-to-day living, most people live out of an emotional or expressional 
perception or concept of God. Most people live in the emotional. Yet, they profess that they live out of their mental or biblical perception of God. And these people struggle, why? Because mentally, they know that God is faithful and trustworthy. But emotionally, they feel like they must take matters into their own hands when things are not going their ways. They just can't seem to believe or trust God at his word. Therefore, their Bible knowledge conflicts with their feelings. Their Bible knowledge conflicts with their feelings. If you want to know your concept of God, think of God on your worst day. Think about God on your worst day. When things are not going your way, when you are in conflict, when you are in conflict, frustration, how do you feel about God at that very moment? How do you feel about God at that very moment? So there's a question, why is there such a discrepancy between what an individual knows about God and what he or she feels or experiences with God. Why do we have such, such discrepancy between what you know and what you think? That is your mental perception of God and your emotional perception. Why do we have this discrepancy? The reason is that we have received the lies about God. We received the lies about God from Satan, from the world, and this creates doubt. This, this creates doubt and unbelief in us. It creates doubt. Not only do we have these lies that has been told us, that has become strongholds in our souls. Not only do we have them from Satan, not only do we have them from the world, but even from our homes. Our early upbringing. The church, the Sunday schools, they tell us one thing about they tell us one thing about God, which may not really be true. And so we grow up with these with these ideas, with these with these faults. And of course, that is going to rock our theology. At the moment we are in trouble, at the moment when things are not going our way, the true feelings are going to come out. In fact, somebody says that if you want to know the condition of a man, the true condition will come out when he or she is in trouble. That is the true condition. Amen? So the next, uh, the next question is, um, where and how our concept of God develop? Where did we develop our concept of God? I hope I'm following the... Uh... Yeah. Where and how our concept of God developed? How did we develop the present concept of God? Now, we're going to have a test. And the test is to show you what your true concept of God is. You'll be surprised. Where and how our concept of God develop? Number one, intergenerational cycle. Intergenerational.
gener generational cycle. Let me just say, you know, they say that an apple does not fall far from the tree. An apple does not fall far from the tree. Give me First Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18. Let's see the intergenerational cycle, what grandpa did, what grandma did, and daddy did, and granddaddy did, will always repeat itself. He said, you must know and recognize that you were redeemed, in other words, trans ransomed from the useless, fruitless ways of living, inherited by tradition from your forefathers. Those ways that we inherited from our forefathers, inherited by tradition. You know, those of us that are from the other side of the sea, we are dogs in what tradition? Our culture. Grandpa said this, and therefore that is how it is going to be. Grandma did this, and therefore that is how it is going to be, in spite of the fact that what Grandpa, Dad, and Ma did run contrary to what the Scripture is saying. So intergenerational cycle. We get our concepts of God from those. The second one is, um, sorry, go back to the slides, please. Attribution. Attribution. Attribution refers to experiences and events in life that cause us to attribute things to God. Experiences and events in our lives that cause us to attribute certain things to God. Things like catastrophes in life, death, divorce, the unexplainable. When we cannot explain it, we say, hey, it's God. The example is Mary and Martha. When Lazarus, their brother, died, Mary went to meet Christ. What did he tell Christ? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see the attribution. He attributed Jesus' absence as a cause of the brother's death. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So those unexplainable events, we attribute them to God. Number three is parental projection. Parental projection. Where we say, God is like my father. God is like my mother or whoever is in authority. As you were growing up, God is like my father. And so when you hear, if you did not have a good nurturing, if you had a troubled nurturing as you were growing up, if dad was not there when he was supposed to be there, if dad was physically abusive, and then you become a Christian, and then they tell you that God is your father, immediately there is a light bulb. God is like my father, the man who wasn't there for me, the man who abused me, 
the man who was so strict. So we project, we project what our fathers did to us or whoever was in position of authority in our lives. Our grandfather, if you were raised by your grandfather, you attribute that or you project that unto God. The next one is self-projection. Self-projection. What is self-projection? We project our feelings about ourselves onto how we think God feels about us. Did you get that? The way we think about ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we think that uh, uh, was, um, was talking to somebody person tells me that, you know, he said, I am an introvert. I say, who told you? Who told you that you are, a, you are an introvert? Why do you label yourself? I said, we can project that. I say, oh, God sees me as what? An introvert. So we project how we feel or think about ourselves. We project that to God. We say, okay, the same way. Oh, I have a low self-esteem. Oh, I'm very proud. No, the list goes on and on. Self-projection. The next one is early religious training and experiences. Those trainings from the church, the Sunday school, unusual experiences may produce legalistic, legalistic concept. If you have been sitting in a church that, you know, law or performance has been the theme of teachings, of course, you're going to have a legalistic view of God. You know, we always say, you know, heaven help those that help themselves. I learned that from, from Sunday school. Heaven help those who help themselves. That's, the, that's, that's not the right concept of God. So such, such things, we grow up with that. And it becomes part becomes a part of our being. We have some shame-based or guilt-motivated views of God just by the way that we have received teachings from the pulpit. We begin to have a shame-based, a shame-based, guilt-based. And if you are like me, uh, the pulpit has been some place where they can push some guilt onto you. you know, guilt. Some of us give out of guilt. Some of us give out of shame. And that is not the true concept of God. Lastly, this will work for me. Oh, is that for Satan? Satan? Okay, did that show? Okay, Satan. All right, not seeing well now. Satan. Now, Satan wants us to believe the lie. He wants us to believe the lie. And the lie is that you will be like God without God. That is the lie. He didn't say a lie, he said the lie. The lie. You will be like God without God. And you cannot be like God without God. So, 
The core of Satan's plan for each of us is not found in tempting us with obvious sins like shoplifting or illicit sex. These things he uses more as a maintenance strategy. His grand tactics in separating us from our heart is to sneak in as a storyteller through the fears and wounds we have received from life's arrows. He weaves a story that becomes our particular message of the arrows, counting on our vanity and blindness. He seduces us to try to control life by living in the smaller stories. Technology. Yeah. So what that, that um, yeah, that is from uh, the Sacred Romans by uh, Brent uh, Curtis. God has a larger story for us. The Bible says that he knows the plans that he has for us. The plan to give us what? The future, the expected end. That's a, large, that's a larger story. But Satan sneaks in with these smaller stories. And he wants us to focus on the smaller stories. And we, sometimes we invent our own stories and live by those stories. Rather than looking at the larger picture where God has placed us. It's not going to tempt you with the big sins, you know. It's not going to tempt you with that. But just to stick in those lies, those lies, it tells you that you are the product of your past. The product of your past. Whereas the truth is that the moment you become a believer, you are no longer a product of your past. You are now the product of Christ's past because you are joined to Christ, inseparably joined with Christ. Christ's life has become yours. His past has become yours. His future is yours. Amen? All right. Let's uh, look at uh, some of the false, false uh, concepts of, of God. Uh-huh. False concepts of God. Number one, the emotionally absent God. He's emotionally absent. He has no feelings for you. Number two, the God of judgment. See, he has, he has a big hammer over your head. The moment you mess up, there's a crash on your head, the God of judgment. The distant God, you know, is so far away. He's not near to me. The explosive God, God of wrath, God of anger, the dead God. There was a movie, you know, God is dead. The dead God. The, the confusing God. God is confused. He doesn't know what he's doing. The manipulating God. He manipulates, he controls There are false concepts of God. The materialistic God, the materialistic God, the God who is preoccupied, he has, he has no time for me. 
you know, uh, this, you know the, the things that I'm going through, that is, that is too, that's, those are too trivial. God does not have time for such things. The God of partiality. It could be good with any other person but me. No, no, no. It's a different case when it comes to me. The fearful God. God is to be feared. The performance God, a God who relates with me on the basis of my performance. If I perform well, then I'm blessed. If I don't perform well, then I'm in trouble. I'm cursed. A physically abusive God, physically abusive. The untrustworthy God, the verbally abusive God. Be surprised that these are all concepts or views from people that have been tested. You know, we ask them, just give us the way you feel about God. The overpowering God. You know, the only reason I worship him is because he overpowers me. It's by force. If I don't do it, because he has a power, he's omnipotent, I don't have a choice. A passive God. He makes no decisions. He's just, he's just passive. Ah, the lying God. Tells lies. The things that he says he will do, he doesn't, he doesn't do it. Are these, are these uh, concepts familiar? <laughs> I know we are Christians. You know, the Christian is we don't want to... <laughs> don't you sometimes feel that way now all those all those all those concepts that i have that i've listed obviously do not describe god do they no, they don't describe god but you hear people there are people that feel this way about god on their worst day they feel that way about, about God. So, if those things do not describe God, then who does it describe? And some have said it describes Satan, or sometimes it describes themselves. But what I've seen in my few years of you know, relating with uh, people is that the answer to that question is that it actually describes their parents, their fathers, their fathers. Describe their fathers. Um, we, would, we would see, you know, how you can test. Because if you ask yourself certain questions that I will, I will, I will give out, then, you know, you begin to think, okay, maybe, wow. So this concept about, I have about God is actually as a result of my relationship with my earthly father or as a result of my relationship with an, you know, an authority in my life as I was growing up. Let's see some of the symptoms of distorted view. If you'd want to know whether you have a distorted view or false concept of God, 
You're going to have conflicts. You're going to have conflicts in your life. There'll be struggles, doubts, fears. Defeat. Instead of living the victorious Christian life that we are meant to live, you live in defeat. You fall in and out of sin. In and out of sin. Fear. You're living in fear. Afraid of everything around you. And all those, those, those earth, and of course, not sensing God's love. You and I will not be able to sense God's love if we have that concept of God, those false concepts of God. You cannot sense God's love. You cannot receive God's love. And if you cannot receive God's love, because 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he loved us what? First. We love because he loves us first. If you don't receive the love of God and know that he loves you, and then you are filled with, with that love, then you cannot give it out. So you don't receive love, neither can you give out love. So we cannot sense the love of God. And this does not only pertain uh, to God, even to man. You cannot sense the love of a brother or a sister towards you. So we go around looking for love everywhere, looking for love. The last one is an open rebellion towards God. Because we have a wrong concept of God. If we know that God is not interested, God, God is emotionally absent, God is never there, God is judgmental, he's legalistic, of course you have an open rebellion against God. You spend a lot of time running away from God. Now, the question to test whether those false concepts that I um, enumerated was that it is a result of your interaction with your father your earthly father or somebody in authority in your life, is to ask this question. Did you fear your father? Did he help you? Was he there for you? Did he take time out for you? Did he judge you? Could you, could you ever please him? Or no matter what you did, he would tell you to do more. Ah, that's a good one. You know, they set a standard, and once you beat that standard, it is, it is increased. Yeah. Did he criticize and require of you what felt to be impossible. To this day, do you feel disapproval from him, even though he's no longer there? Do you feel disapproval from him? Did he ever take anything dear 
from you? Did he ever take anything dear from you? How much time do I have, Rev? Three minutes? Three minutes, thank you. Or two. How do we change our distorted view of God? How do we change our distorted view of God? Number one, number one, we have to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. We have to admit that there is a possibility that you could have some distorted view of God, having the wrong concept of God. Confess it. Confess it. He already knows it. Agree with him. And repent of it. In other words, change your mind. Admit and be honest about what you feel about God, what you, not what you know, what you feel about God. Acknowledge and reject the lies that you carry. Many of us carry so much lies, sometimes we don't even know that they are lies because they have formed strongholds in our souls, not in our spirit now, because you have the mind of Christ. Choose to see God for who he truly is. Choose to see him for, he, for who he truly is. And this is a choice that we have to make on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We have to make that choice. 1 John 4, 8 says that whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. Love is patient, love is kind. So this is now God. This is, this is, this is who God is. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. You can substitute, okay, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You can substitute the word God, love with God in all, those, in all those passages because God is love. This is the final uh, slide here. So God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. And he never fails. That is the God that we worship. Amen. In the, um, finally, just, just, an, just, just an instruction. I want you to go through this. There is, a, there is a page that says, who is God? Who is God? And there are two of these. One is, give the answers, give the correct answers, right? And if you want to call it your Christianist answers, in other words, the biblical answers. Give the correct answers. And the other page is now talking about 
your feelings about God, even though this is the truth about God, give me your feelings on your worst day, on your worst day. So please go through that, go through that and read all the other stuff there. And then we'll, we will continue from there. Now there are, there are the names of God. You see, the names of God identifies who he is. He says, and those who know my name will put their trust in me. If you don't know God, you cannot put your trust in him. So go through that. And then next week, of course, things about who God is. And then next week, we will start with uh, going through your answers. Amen? Amen? Okay, I've already taken two minutes of the time. And then also, of course, have your questions. Send your questions to Sister Revelation, and then we'll, you know, we'll discuss your questions next week. So, Father, thank you for leading us through this hour. We bless your name. Uh, the things that we have heard from you, Father, let it be things that will help us to grow uh, spiritually and come to the place where you have already placed us, our true position in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.